thank you very much, Steve. Um, it's, uh, it's been a great pleasure uh, serving here at Hillcrest and at Joe's place. Uh, as Steve said, it, uh, it has been a great learning experience, um, and this community has been second to none um, welcoming me here. I just want to start today and this morning with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your presence. Um, we thank you for the fact that you're here with us and, and that you speak to us. Uh, Lord, may you speak through me and open and allow our souls and minds to be receptive to what you want to teach us. We just lift up this time into your hands. Amen. Um, I just want to try one thing because I've never done this before. All God's people say? Oh, yes. I've never done that before. I figured I should try it the first time. <laughs> um, I want to start off with a, a quick story, actually, of myself and a, a, a close group of friends uh, went hiking once. So now I'm studying Calgary. Um, a lot of people from Calgary say, the best thing about Calgary is the mountains. Well, no, the mountains are the mountains. Calgary's Calgary. You just see it from a distance. It's a little different. But the, the beauty of it is I get to go to the mountains. And there's this one time when we, we drove from Calgary. It was early, early in the morning because we wanted to, were on this hiking trip. Um, and this hiking trip brought us, it was about a 15, 16 kilometer hiking trip going into the mountains. And then obviously round trip makes about 30, 32 kilometers. But we're staying there for a night in this little cabin. Um, so our journey took us from Calgary, bright, in the, bright early, probably 5 or 6 in the morning. We get to, we drove out about an hour. Uh, we parked down, and because most of us are students, we're cheap. So we parked in a, in a little parking lot and then hiked our way into Banff National Park. You can do this. I did not know that. You'd save your money on buying those park passes for the three cars we had. So we, 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 walk, we hiked in. And, um, and eventually, the trail that we're on merged um, into one of the Banff National Park's park trails. And you know it's a Banff National Park trail when there's a little sign. There's two signs next to each other. One of them says, Welcome to Banff National Park. And the sign right next to it is red, and it says, Caution, Bears. It was, it was a rude awakening, for sure. And then about 10, 10 meters along the way, uh, you see a, a big bear paw. Uh, we were hiking in early, mid-spring, so the bears are just starting to come out, eating as much bears as they can. But So along this trail, because it was about 16 kilometers long, you can see three, I can remember three distinctive um, scenes, scenic, I guess, views. The first one we walked through um, comprised of a semi, semi-dense densely populated wooded area um, comprised of pine trees, so it smelt beautiful, and because there's such old pine trees, the foliage of the needles were pretty high up, so you only just saw the trunks of the trees walking through through the trail, and then as you walk along, the sun started to, to come up, and you can see and feel the sun rays hit you and warm up the trail as you walk along. The second memorable, memorable um, scenic view that I remember was this creek that ran through a, all these forested areas. It kind of created a, its own little divide. And what was so beautiful about it was the fact that it looked like an artist painted two thick green lines 
along the creek that borders it because that's how mossy and green all the rocks were. And the third one, um, which is the last kind of little section to where we're going, was a, uh, it was like a rocky, um, lots of spruce trees. And because we were going in the mountains, there's a slight elevation and it was uh, mid-spring, so there was about two feet of snow left on the trail. It was absolutely stunning of a view all throughout the trail. Then what was the best part of it was getting to the cabin, which we'll be staying in, in that, uh, for that evening. Uh, this cabin was in this really remote area. You could, you could almost, it's, you know when you're in a place and it's so quiet, but it's, it's kind of that quietness speaks to you. You can feel the peacefulness, the calmness, and the tranquility that, that you can kind of sense once you walked into the area where the cabin was. I think at that very moment, my soul kind of drifted away in the nature, and I could feel God's presence. The reason why I brought up this story um, and this journey is because it, uh, it reminds me of the pilgrimage that um, Israelites would have taken from all parts of the world, right, into Mount Zion, Jerusalem, or the temple, whatever you want to call it. This pilgrimage took them from parts of the world where they felt not at the epicenter of where God was, where their community was. And then once they made that journey together as a group, they could feel that communal sense and experience and worship God together. So today I'll, I'll be speaking on Psalms 133. Um, it is a part of our Psalms uh, summer playlist uh, and this one is a part of the Song of Ascents. And I'll just read one, Psalm 133. You can turn to me if you want, or it should be posted up at the top here. Song one, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I was, uh, I was tasked to, to pick a verse out of uh, the Song of Ascents, which I misinterpreted that to, I have to do Psalms 133. So it's only three verses long and hopefully it covers enough time. But the beauty of this is um, the song. This is a part of the Song of Sense. So the Song of Sense range from Psalms one twenty all the way to about one thirty four. And what this, what they were, were actually songs or prayers or oaths that you would sing together as you pilgrimage or make the pilgrimage to uh, Mount Zion, to Jerusalem. It is for those who are making that journey so that they can sing, kind of like. Literally, it was like a, a road, road trip playlist that you would sing several of these songs on your way to Jerusalem. And many, uh, many Western religions, even now, currently, still have this, um, this practice of pilgrimage to, um, to, I guess, the Middle East, really. Um, the Muslim faith still does that to Mecca. The Jewish people still do that to the Western Wall, or what we also call as the Wailing Wall. 
I questioned why these religions were doing this for the longest time because not coming from a religious background at first, I was like, why would you make that trip when you could just stay home and take a nap? <laughs> I truly did not understand why they would make this trip. Um, if I can grab Deuteronomy 16, 16 up on the screen. Uh, the reason why Jewish people would have made this trip is because of three festivals and celebrations that they would celebrate. The f- uh, so it reads in 1616, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion in the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So the idea of this pilgrimage that the Israelites would have taken would have required them to bring some sort of sacrifice, some, some sort of offering when they, when they arrived in Jerusalem. It was not only that, but it was also a celebration. A pilgrimage in, uh, in the Old Testament context is, is a journey taken by those who are faithful from around the world and it was an event that was primarily surrounded by events and festivals as such. But if you read in the New Testament context, it's a little different. And I'll, I'll explore this a little bit more later. But in the New Testament context, it's as if this pilgrimage is no longer physical, but more, of a, more rather of a metaphorical one. One that is about your own spiritual journey towards God. We should read all of Psalms 120 to 134 together because I think it gives us a good picture of, of why these kind of are included and, and how they invoke some sort of emotional expression when you read them. Again, as they were sung and recited during pilgrimage, if we start, if we journey with the Israelites and starting in Psalm 120, it talks about lamenting because it was the very start of their journey. They come from different parts of the world I mean, mostly in the Middle Eastern area, but different parts of the world, and they come into Jerusalem. So they're lamenting about how they don't live among the same community, the people that they can, communi- that they can have this communal living with. They don't really live with people who are faithful to God. They live in a place, I think in 120 it says, they live in a place living among people who hate peace. It's just the lament that we're so far away and we're not, living in the, we're not living in community in the way that God has created us to. And then in Psalm 121, as they continue through their journey, it's a recognition, people on this journey, it's a recognition that God is their protector. It says God watches over you. This idea that they're recognizing that as they're going through this journey and they're, you know, they're, they're making their way to Jerusalem, they realize God is watching, watching over them. And then in 122 is where you see the journey ending as they arrive in Jerusalem. It's a very short journey, apparently. Only two verse, or three verses. But you see them arriving in Jerusalem, and they're, they're just expressing this, un, this, this appreciation that God has brought them there. And they're worshiping God and praising God for who he is. And then in 123 to 134, you see the, the pilgrims... Most of these were prayers and oaths that they would recite during the festivals, and it, 
it's supposed to bring, it's supposed to stir up the soul a little bit. So that's kind of the overview of why I'm speaking on the Song of Ascents and why Psalm 133 kind of fits in that block. That's its purpose. Um, I'm not going to get really into, school has taught me uh, so far in my degree, school has taught me that authorship is not important enough because that's a whole different argument and and topic that doesn't need to be get uh, doesn't have to get filtered out. But some people would argue that this is written by David. So for the sake of tonight, uh, this morning, I'm just going to say probably the author or psalmist, just in case my prof is listening and then I get an earful when I get back to school. So living together, what does that mean? I think one of the beautiful things about psalms is this: it's it brings up a lot of emotional um, expressions in, in their verses. In Psalm 133, 1, I'll just read it over quickly. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In other translation, it, instead of unity, it says harmony instead. I think it's in the, the New Living Translation. The psalmist here is speaking about how the beauty and unity to get, uh, how it the togetherness brings this unity and beauty, this goodness and pleasantness that you experience when you're living among each other. When you're living, uh, I didn't even plan this, but as the missionary, forgot her name, from North Korea was saying how we are, the Christians were like-minded, right? You're living among like-minded people and how beautiful and good it is when you get to be a part of that. At the end of the festivals, you also have people, when they get to Jerusalem, they'll be having massive feasts with their families and the families around them that they're sharing faith and stories with. It reminds me of Christmases with my family. Um, My mom was always adamant. We would always make a trip. Coming from Ottawa, we always make a trip to Toronto because that's where the rest of my family is. And we'd have these massive Christmas um, meals. I don't even know half my cousins because my mom has six siblings, I think, which to me is just ridiculous. I don't know how you can take care of that many kids. <laughs> but we would we'd be all just be hanging out. I don't really know my cousins well. They, would, they don't really know what Ottawa is because they just thought it was apparently a farming community and called me Farm Boy. And there's also a grocery store called Farm Boy in, in Ottawa, which was ironic. Clearly, they've never been to Saskatchewan. But what was beautiful about this is I was part of this community that loved and accepted me. And I think that was one of the, one of the most beautiful things I can remember. remember. And that's what this, this verse kind of conjures up in my, in my soul. Another imagery that, that I get when I read this verse and I, and I replace unity with harmony is this idea of an orchestra, right? Music harmony. Um, in, in Ottawa, there's a, uh, there's a, a, like a children's, a family-catered orchestra that plays from time to time. And I remember my parents bringing me to, to one of their, their concerts uh, around age nine, because anything before that, I don't remember, unless it's a picture. Basically, we get there, and I remember, um, I remember sitting there. It was a surreal moment. It was... It was, uh, it was quiet. You can, he- you can feel the hum in the air. You don't, not, not just hear, but you can feel the hum. And the first or the lead violinist would stand up and, and play their first note, and then everyone tunes their instruments to this first note. And then they start playing, and, you can, and it, was, 
it felt as if there was the first time I could hear harmony among, among the instruments. It's the first time I, th- I could feel the harmony kind of shaking, shaking me a little bit. But it was beautiful. It was, it was almost like a fulfilling experience. This reminds me of, it also reminds me of worship. Even this morning when we were singing, you can hear the harmony. It, I mean, I might sing off flat. Like, I might be, have a flat voice, but everyone is singing together for a common purpose. Um, there's this quote by A.W. Tozer. Uh, he wrote in The Pursuit of God. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard, to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, looking up to God, are in heart nearer to each other than they could ever possibly be. I, I read this and I, I thought it was very applicable as it reminds us of, of what community, unity, and harmony and what that, what that invokes in our souls. Let's jump to verse 2. Um, I'll just read it again. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. The first time I read this, um, I couldn't help but make a joke in my head saying, I don't know how that feels because I've never been able to grow a beard and probably never will be able to. Um, I just want to pull up Exodus 30. Again, I'm, I'm just jumping around passages because I, uh, it kind of helps me prove to myself that I'm, I'm smart enough. Verse 30, 22 to 44, it reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels, of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, and 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin of olive oil. This is, this is how they made their anointing oil for Aaron and his sons. I couldn't, couldn't help but, but think, man, that must have cost a lot of money. It sounds like it cost a lot of money just to make this oil, just this one batch. And not only do they have to use this oil to pour all over Aaron and his, and his sons, but they probably did it eventually to the Levites, and then they probably did it during their, their services, during their sacrifices. I couldn't help but think that olive oil was such a hot commodity. It was so important to the Israelites and many of the cultures back then because it was one of the main currencies of trade. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine them, anyone wasting olive oil like that. And then if you read it in verse 24, it says, A hin of olive oil. That's about four liters is, is what, uh, what some would argue. That's a lot of olive oil. I could, that's, that's a lot of homemade salad dressings. But I think there's a reason why they, they use so much olive oil, or so much anointing oil on Aaron. I think the psalmist in this is, is trying to, to say that this anointing oil is abundant, right? There's so much of it. It's, if you couple that with, with verse 1, joy, 
goodness and pleasant that you find in unity and harmony living among each other is abundant. There's overwhelming joy. It's as if like nothing can contain the oil after you after you've poured it. It just flows down to the rest. It affects everyone else in the community. It's as if the psalmist was saying, "Can't you see? Don't you see?" Can you remember how harmonious it was when we lived in unity? When we're considered a unified body, a family? A time when joy was overflowing and it was abundant and you can feel each other's presence? I think the main reason why this was in here is because it wants to um, appeal to the, the Israelites saying, can't you remember back then when we were stuck in the desert for 40 years and this is... This is what we get to experience, living in harmony. But we no longer have that because they were kind of split apart. <clears throat> Recently, um, a hockey player retired. Uh, I don't know if you know him, but uh, his name is Mike Fisher. He used to play for Ottawa Senators. I was a big fan of his. Um, great hockey player uh, and a great man of God. And recently, as he retired, he had a, an interview with, uh, with one of the local radio stations back home. And he said... Uh, as I grew older, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, so don't, don't look this up, but as I grew older and became a veteran of this sport, I realized that winning the Stanley Cup or winning was not the primary focus. What I, what I think I will miss and what I did love the most was the camaraderie. And I can, I can really resonate with this because I play team sports growing up, and I can really feel how it feels when you are working together in harmony and unity, when you feel those bonds with your teammates, with your brothers or sisters, you really get this sense of, of just fulfillment and restoration to your soul when you live together in a community. In Romans 8.31, it says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And when I, read the, when I read God in this passage, I also include all of God's people. I see how as a group, as, as a body, we are so much stronger together and so much better. If I look back on my own life, I don't know if you guys can relate to me on this, but I can unequivocally say that my life and who I have become is because of the brothers and sisters I've had in Christ. The mentors and the disciples and the pastors that have spoken into my life and has allowed me to experience this abundance of joy through living in harmony. In verse 3, I'm now just going to awkwardly transition to verse 3. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So I was doing a little research um, on Mount Hermon, because I have no idea what Mount Hermon is, well, until now. And uh, basically, my research told me that the highest altitude of, of Mount Hermon is 2,814 kilometers high. And for those who uh, don't like efficient math an empirical system, that's 9,232 feet. That height, from that height, you can see about 100 kilometers away. It's kind of like Cypress Hill's lookout point. You can see about 100 kilometers away from, from where you're standing. 
the significance of why this was said in Psalms 133, I think, is because it's, it's reminding people of that difference of water and source of life coming down from above. Because, because of Mount Hermon being so tall and right next to the Mediterranean Sea, it, that's where a lot of snow and precipitation happen, dew, for example. Um, and all that water would eventually melt or run off and go down the Jordan River, and then, and then it would be the source of water for a lot of the communities um, when you're getting close to Mount Zion. So why did they use Mount Hermon and Mount Zion as that? I think it's, it's mainly, if you read verse 2 as well, in, uh, related to this, it's this idea of descending, descending, descending. First, it was the oil descending from the head down to his beard to the collar. And now you read Mount Hermon, one of the highest peaks, and then this source of, of life, this water, is descending from above down to Mount Zion. I think what is most powerful about this is that we can now kind of see and read of God's presence coming down and residing among us. This idea that he is among us as a people as well and not just just individuals. His source of life descends and flows down to the rest of creation. I'm just going to finish with, uh, I guess, a couple more points. Um, What I found really, really impactful and, I guess, transformative for me when I read Psalms 133 is the fact that Jesus made the same pilgrim. Jesus made the same journey. Jesus started in... The Sea of Galilee area, kind of went down south, made a weird left turn, got to Bethany, got to Gethsemane, and then eventually to Mount Zion. Um, you can, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what is most powerful about the fact that Jesus also made this pilgrimage, Jesus also made this journey, is the fact that he's the one, when you get to the very end, and I think this answers my question, of why, why on earth would people make such a long pilgrimage nowadays? I think it's because Jesus made that pilgrimage, instead of getting there, bringing a lamb and sacrificing it, Jesus brought himself there after this, after this journey, this long journey, brought himself to the temple and sacrificed himself for us. So we don't have to make that physical sacrifice, we don't have to make that physical journey for ourselves, because Jesus has already done that for us. Jesus is the one who brought himself, made that sacrifice, so we no longer have to do it. So I just want to ask the worship band to come up. I'll just close off in a a statement or two. Um, Psalms 133, when you read read it in, in association with the rest of the songs I've sent, you can see that it's this idea of Worshiping in community. It's the idea that you find harmony, you find this, this restoration in your soul when you live together, when you live in an accepted and loving family that, that brings you in. And I think the most powerful thing that I want you guys to remember is the fact that it, it is an abundance of joy when you live in, harmo- in harmonious community. Thank you.
You know, Jeremy, in just a nutshell, shared the gospel here at the end with us. That is that what Christ has done through making that trip, through making that pilgrimage, through offering himself means uh, that we don't have to do what people used to do. Yeah, I love how you answered that question. Why don't Christians make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Because our faith is built on the fact that someone else has done it for us. Someone else has gone the way. Someone else is the hero of our spiritual story, not our own efforts, not our own travail, not our own wailing, not our own earning. It's what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, Jeremy, I love how you just pointed that out. There is an incredible, abundant blessing that flows into our lives. And it's not just flowing into our lives individually, but it flows into our lives communally. That picture of a hundred pianos all being tuned by the same tuning fork. Uh, that's when we're tuning our hearts to God, it makes us in tune with one another. So let's just, I, I want to just uh, pray with you really quickly as we close here. Um, two things. One is that the work that Christ has done on our behalf is available to you today. It's something to be received into your life saying, Lord, you did this for me. You were the sacrificial lamb. You, you did everything that needed to be done in order for me to be right with God. Um, you can receive that into your life today. You can say, Lord, I get it. I understand. You did for me what needed to be done. The thing that I couldn't do so that I can have that relationship with you. And for those of you who are uh, hearing Jeremy talk about unity, here's the second part. You hear about unity and the blessing and the blessing and the blessing, and yet in your own life you say, but there's disunity. In my own life it isn't blessing. It isn't, uh, things are not right. Things are discordant, not harmonious. Then my uh, reminder to you of what he said is, tune your heart in with God first. You want to have unity in your life? Tune your heart in with God. Get aligned with God. Get aligned with God. If you want to experience community and unity and harmony in our families, in our church, and even in Moose Jaw, tune your heart in with God first. That's the first step. And then the other part, God will work out in our lives as we begin that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for um, the long history of that we join as we join the follower, the, being followers of Jesus, a long history of people who way back when made these journeys to honor you, to recognize you as God, to lift you up, to praise your name. I can almost just hear it, just people singing together as they made that trip together. And Lord, we're on a journey too, not a physical journey, not one that marks the miles to Mount Zion, but we are on a, this life as a journey and you've called us to walk step by step with you. And so, Lord Jesus, if there's any way in which we're not aligned with you today, would you not only show us by your spirit that area, but also reassure us that you will walk us through the steps to alignment. You will take us every step of the way. You said you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Your presence will always be with us. So we're not alone. We're not trying to figure this whole mess out our, on, our, on our own, but we can look to you. And you do have in store incredible blessing, incredible blessing in our lives 
as we line up with you. So, Lord, we ask for that. We ask that you would line our lives up with you. Yeah, Lord, we want to work along with this prayer. <laughs> line our lives up with you, Lord. Show us the next right thing to do in obedience as we align ourselves with you. We ask that in your name. Amen. This morning, as we close our service, we're going to worship together with one last song. We get to experience that harmony, whether our voices are great singing voices or, like Jeremy described, sort of more average. Let's worship our Lord together. Also, prayer teams are going to be here together. If you want to have someone walk with you and talk with you and pray with you through a concern or a challenge in your life, we'd love to do that with you this morning. So linger afterwards, and we'll be here up at the front where you can just come in, and we'll just pray with you about whatever is going on with your life. But God bless you. Thank you for coming. Let's keep honoring our Lord and Savior this entire week. Let's just give him our greatest praise. When you get a moment on your own, when you just say, hey, I've got a breathing moment, just praise out, just breathe out praise to him. He is good. He is, he is magnificent. He is wonderful. He is kind. He is generous. He's gracious and compassionate. Whatever the Lord brings to your mind, just breathe that out in prayer to him and align yourself with him. God bless you for coming. Let's worship together. Let's stand together. Be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is alive.